Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Praise pouring in for the decision point. I am fired up for episode two with Anna Naduri. Aaron Rodgers is going to be back in Green Bay for the last dance. Your thoughts on it? Oh, I love, you know, Aaron's been my favorite quarterback in the league for a hot minute now. And I think that, you know, Brady going to Tampa and having the success that he had has kind of enabled the Rodgers and the Wilsons and anybody that's kind of in that upper echelon tier of quarterbacks to say, hey, front office people, we know what we're doing, too. You know, and um, occasionally for, for a while it, it wasn't that way. And, and it was just, you know, do your job and fall in line. But I love that he pushed back. And I kind of I mean, this was the logical conclusion, right? I don't think anybody saw him retiring. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, he's going he's gonna to go host Jeopardy. What? <laughs> I mean, it, it just in hindsight, those speculations were so stupid. This is coming from someone who drafted Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams back to back in the Scott Fishbowl. I tried to get him in round three. I thought that was going to be more of a value. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Anon. Hello. Hello, Aaron Rodgers. Devontae Adams stack. Hello. Yeah, that's going to that's going to get you a whole lot of points. I I wouldn't I would not be surprised if that's once again the highest stack of the year. Um, yeah. Hill Mahomes, Rodgers, Adams. Th- those are the two. And then maybe Diggs Allen. Those were the those were the stacks you wanted last year. Yeah, yeah, and I think that you know you could argue Wilson Metcalf maybe. No, oh, they're not in the same tiers. Those three stacks, those three super stacks: Allen Diggs, woof 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 woof, Rogers Adams, and then Mahomes Hill. Oh, Mahomes Hill, when they have one of their very fun 150-yard three-touchdown games together, that's a really fun <laughs> stack. That's why you can never get them in DFS. They're always too expensive. That's right. That's right. So walk us through this salvaged debacle in Green Bay. It appears that the team has acknowledged in drafting Jordan Love last year they're not going to be able to afford Aaron Rodgers in 2022 because I'm looking at the data and they're projected to be close to $35 million over the cap, which next year projects to be $208 million. And, and you have Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams posting the Bulls' last dance memes on Instagram. Do you think this is the final year in Green Bay for Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams? I think the answer to that, first of all, touching on the whole last dance thing, I thought it was awesome. Robert Tanyan posting pictures of Dennis Rodman. Oh, I mean, it, it was theatrical. 
Yeah. Oh, isn't he? Isn't isn't Tunyon Rodman? That's so perfect. I mean, it, it's just it was so much fun, and and they gave a lot of people a lot of fun content at a time of the year where it's just pretty much predicting who's going to show up to training camp and who's not. And by the way, thank you for that. Don't we need this? This is what we want. This is what football should be embracing. We get this in the NBA, this back and forth, this meme culture. We need this in football. It just brings more young people into the sport, more of this. Embrace this. And I think Roger Goodell, is he's embracing this. You can see. He's starting to unbutton a button on his shirt. He's loosening up slightly. He might be okay with the kids on Instagram you know, having some fun in the offseason. Well, the big problem for the NFL for a while has been, you know, changing its target audience, right? Because there are more people that are accessible on social media and Twitch streams and and as athletes, because athletes in helmet sports especially, right? You don't really get a chance to know them outside of it. They're not marketed that way, right? And so once Tom Brady takes off the helmet and you can acknowledge that he's now Tom Brady superstar athlete, but also human being and not number 12 for Tampa Bay or New England. Well, I, he's not 100% human. That hair is not human hair. That was a bad example because I'm pretty sure he's an alien. <laughs> okay, we know that chin, under that chin, is not 100% human bone. No, no way. That nose is not his original nose. Come on, man. Those aren't his teeth. That, that's Captain America, though. I mean, you can't really, can't really argue with that guy. But, I mean, when you look at that angle of things, right, I think the NFL is starting to become a little less corporate- I think they realize that their target audience can't forever be 75-year-old retirees in bars in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia yelling about their defenses for three and a half hours. Yes, I'm that guy, by the way. Right, yeah. They can seed that demographic to baseball and say, hey, we'll take everybody else. Baseball, you can have these guys. We'll take everybody else. When you're working in the NFL front office, were these conversations happening? I mean, the conversation's always happening about fan engagement. Right. Because without that, and I think that fans on the outside don't understand how curated all of the content that they end up getting is. And that's why the beat writers are important. And that's why, you know, the the super fans, quote unquote, of teams are important. And that's why Ari Mayrov, the guy that, that, you know, started my sports update and got on with PFF. That's why all of these angles are important is because most of the content that you get from the team themselves is so curated and so already thought out right most of the digestive work in terms of what you're getting has already been done for you so when you get an off-the-cuff instagram post from an aaron Rodgers or Devonte adams or robert tanyan it gives you a different insight into who they are because who you've seen them to be is exactly who quote-unquote the corporation wants them to be right and so when you dive into this whole packers fiasco i think what happened was aaron Rodgers was very unhappy And I think he made it known for the first time, right? And they took the opposite approach that Seattle did. Seattle's approach immediately was Russ has always been the corporate guy, has always said the right thing, has always done the right thing. He's pushing back publicly for the kind of the first time ever. Let's go get him everything he wants. Tampa did the same thing for Brady without him necessarily asking. You know, New England kind of treated him as just one of the guys forever. And that'll work as long as you're winning. And as soon as Tom started to see the talent slip a little bit and realize, hey, I don't think I can win a Super Bowl with these guys anymore, he was out. And so Green Bay has to acknowledge if Aaron really thinks that they're a piece or two away, listen to him. I mean, who understands football realistically? You have a GM and a franchise. That's great. Mark Murphy and and Gutekunst have done a solid job other than this whole fiasco, right? 
The problem is he understands football better than you. And if you can't let your ego go to the side and understand that Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers understands football better than any general manager. Right. And that's just a fact. And you can go to him and say, hey, Aaron, we can't go get this guy because of this salary cap restraint. Or we can't go do this because that guy's going to resign with this team. At least bring him in on it. Right. And I think that's all he was ever asking is, hey, I'm not going to ask you to move heaven and earth for me. But tell me before you cut Jake Kumro. Tell me before you get rid of Randall Cobb. Before you cut Jordy Nelson. Before you move on from me in theory by drafting Jordan Love. Just let me know. Let me know so that I can prepare you because ultimately speaking, he's an interesting guy, right? He's a fun, he's a celebrity. He is a celebrity. Why wouldn't they just want to pick up the phone and have a fun conversation with Aaron Rodgers and talk football for 20 minutes? Why would it, how could your ego be so outsized that you would refuse to do that? The big problem with Green Bay, it's my favorite part of Green Bay, is that the owners are the city. It's the, it's the team. It's the fans, right? But the problem is, and going back to our conversation last week about Jerry Jones, there's no unified voice at the top of the Packers. And if they were smart, they would have made that unified voice Aaron Rodgers the way that Tampa has made Brady. It would make sense if there's no specific owner patriarch at the top like a Jerry Jones. Just let your best player be that guy. If it's a community-based and supported and owned team, just let the guy that makes the most money, that has the most power on the field, be the face of the franchise in a real way where some decisions actually run through him. Bill Russell was a player coach, and the Celtics just won championship after championship with him in that role in the 60s. Given the organizational structure of the Packers, that would have made a lot of sense. I just, I don't understand why they wouldn't even consider it. Right. And I think part of that is Murphy and Gutekunst have gotten so big in their own heads that they're kind of like, eh, our roster's good enough to win with anybody. It's not. It's not. How did that 2020 draft happen? Because that 2020 draft was mocked and ridiculed across sports media that you start with Jordan Love, who cannot help you in a year where you're trying to be competitive, and then you follow that up with a running back that's not going to play. We briefly touched on this last week as well, about how there are many different ways to manage a team, that there are many different ways to build a roster, right? Green Bay, historically, has always replaced players a year early. They drafted A.J. Dillon when they didn't know if Aaron Jones was going to re-sign or not, right? Because he got a full year under him. And then this year, if Aaron Jones had decided to walk, which Jamal Williams decided to walk too, right? If Aaron Jones had decided to walk, they had something. They, they at least had something. I think that was their same thought process with Jordan Love. They were wrong about one thing, though. And this is kind of an unforgivable sin in football. You've got to know your own guys. And they had to know that Aaron Rodgers was still capable of MVP-level seasons. How do they not know that? What? That's what I'm, That's the part of it that I don't understand. That is unforgivable. Right. And and one of the things that, that kind of bothered me about how all of this went down is, guys, you are going nowhere without him. Nowhere. Like, like find me. There is one guy in the entire league, maybe in the history of the league, that you could argue right now could go into Green Bay and do what he's doing. And it's not Tom Brady. It's Mahomes. I mean, they were staring at T. Higgins. You realize this? With the 26th pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, 
T. Higgins was just there. Clemson T. Higgins. There was no secret yeah. who T. Higgins is. Yeah, yeah. He was just there. And I'm sure that Aaron Rodgers was like, okay, we're going to get Higgins. This is great. Cool, cool. And then for him to look up and it's Jordan Love, I, I can't imagine like the like the room started spinning, but very slowly and just surreally. Oof. The other thing, too, is I don't hate the decision to draft Jordan Love. I hate that there was no plan to get Aaron what he wanted while also covering in their own asses, if that makes sense. So it's one thing to cover your ass and draft Jordan Love. If you really liked him, if you had him as a high first round pick and he falls you at 26, so be it. I'm okay with I can live with that. And I think that that's a good decision because quarterbacks are currency in the NFL. But if you didn't have a plan to get Aaron, his wide receiver, too, that he's been begging you for forever, if you didn't have a plan to replace Kevin King, who, God love him, you know, he just had one really, really awful game at a time that you really cannot have the worst game of your career. I mean, Rodgers is kind of fading into the sunset. This may be the last time that Rodgers, Jones, you know, uh, Devontae Adams are all on the field together. Like, that was your, really, that was your shot. And I think they've got a shot this year. But, Find find that second wide receiver. Be aggressive in the trade market. They never are. They're going to have to change their identity in a new world. It's true in business. It's true in finance. It's true in anything that you do. The, the world's going to change around you, and if you don't change with it, adapt or die. And right now they're choosing to live and die by the principles that were instilled in the 80s. And don't get me wrong. They've served them very, very well up until this moment. At this point, The superstar is bigger than the team. You got to let it go. Let the egos go. Your franchise quarterback, if he's a top five player in the league, you got to let the ego go. He's more important than you are. Yeah. Even if they didn't go wide receiver in the first round, if they helped him on the offensive line, Robert Hunt was there. They could have gone anywhere on defense. I liked Antoine Winfield that the Buccaneers somehow got I mean the Buccaneers had the greatest draft of 2020 that was a steal that was robbery oh man robbery they stole Tristan Wirfs with a mid first rounder and then they stole Winfield with a mid second rounder it was just bizarre like everyone knew Tristan Wirfs was a stud everyone knew Antoine Winfield was a stud and then they were just slipping and why is Ross Blacklock going ahead of Winfield. Why is Cole Komet the blocking tight end from Notre Dame? How is this possible? Oh, man. How what what's happening here? So he would have been available and then the Packers could have drafted Brian Edwards or another wide receiver to at least provide depth behind Devontae Adams or the heir apparent in 2022, 2023 to Devontae Adams in the second round instead of drafting a running back. So if you're gonna trade up for a quarterback that you're not going to need for three years. If you're going to draft a running back in the second round who is not going to give you much more than what Kylan Hill is going to give them this year. So they drafted Kylan Hill in the seventh round this year. That's the place to get value at running back, not in the second round. So they're trading up. They're burning picks. They're not valuing positions properly. According to how the according to how much they contribute to actual NFL wins, so for those reasons, I think the fundamentals around the Green Bay front office are weak. Even though they've done a hell of a job in creating a rather talent-rich roster, I'm just not sure. Based on that draft alone, it's this beaming signal into my eyes that this front office 
does not focus on the right details. Sure, they got Jair Alexander, Bakhtiari, and Adams, and they have these stud pieces in these key positions right now, which gives them the horsepower to go out and compete for a championship. So you have to give them credit for assembling that roster. But all these decisions, even the micro decision of moving up a couple picks to get Jordan Love, trading with the Dolphins, it tells me that longer term, their roster building strategy is not necessarily sound. No. And the the other thing, you know, when you don't have a uniform voice in that building, when when the goal for everybody is to win a championship, but everybody wants to take a different route to doing it. Right. Aaron's just trying to tell them, give me the horses. I'll go win you a race. They're trying to construct for life currently with Rogers, life after Rogers. And don't get me wrong, that that's important. It is. Um, but look at the Saints, right? Even though they didn't win a Super Bowl, every single season that Drew Brees was there, probably 2015 on, Mickey Loomis was pushing every chip he had into the middle of the table to get close, right? And the thing is, even though it didn't pay off, it was the right decision. Yeah, they're like, oh, they're kicking the can. Yeah, of course they're kicking the can. They're kicking the can down the road until Brees retires, and then they'll reset. Right. And you talked about this on the last show, that it's not the single-year cap number that's important. It's where you stand across four years of spending. And I think that the important part to, to kind of consider with the Packers, too, is you're kind of in the same position they were in with Drew Brees. Guys, you have Aaron Rodgers. Like, I, I don't think you understand. Go to the streets of Chicago. I was in Chicago the last two weeks. Go to the streets of Chicago and ask anybody, any Bears fan on the side of the street, what they would have given for 15 years of Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Any, the answer is anything. You can have Giordano's. I mean, they'll give you Willis Tower. Delicious. Too many carbs for me now, but back in the day, back in my carb days. Take whatever you want. Like at Green Bay fans, and God, I love y'all. Love you dearly. You're one of the best fan bases in, in all of sports. But you got to understand, right now you're complaining like the spoiled kids on the block because two championships with these Hall of Fame quarterbacks and Favre and Rodgers isn't enough. It's the, the kids screaming, I want my third scoop of ice cream while everybody's waiting in line. Don't get me wrong. I'm with you. I think you should have won more than two Super Bowls. But don't diminish the fact that you won those two simply because you didn't win more other than this stretch of time where they're clearly not doing what Aaron wants them to do. Now I think you have a legitimate gripe. But for the past seven, eight years, guys, I mean, we're a weird botched onside kick away. Uh, you're an all-time comeback away. You're not giving up 50 points to the Arizona Cardinals away. Like, like, like There are a lot of weird, weird things that have happened here. And then Brady beating on Kevin King last year was just kind of the, the final beat of the drum. Uh, but, you know, Matt, to, to an extent, I love Aaron Rodgers. He is my second favorite quarterback of all time behind Dan Marino. But the thing is, ultimately speaking, he had opportunities to win that game. He did. He did. And we can beat on Kevin King all we want. But at the end of the day, the result is the Green Bay Packers lost. Now, if Goody and Mark Murphy did their jobs, they would go down to the bottom and figure out why that happened. Why that happened is you didn't have a second wide receiver that could separate that Aaron reliably trusted. And you needed a second quarterback. Uh, sorry, a second corner. Right. Or, or just secondary help. So if they had drafted Winfield and Brian Edwards, things could have been different. Things would have been very different, right? 
And, and I mean, even without them, Aaron got you close enough to winning that game. Now, yeah, he did that with a hand tied behind his back, which is Jordan Love over there. <laughs> just bulging with first round draft capital, completely useless on the sideline. Well, and we ran through earlier a few of the picks that they could have made. But if they felt like Jordan Love, Jordan Love being the best decision there, like, let's say this works out for them, right? Jordan Love is incredible. They have a third first ballot Hall of Famer. Great. So be it. That still doesn't answer for why you didn't get Aaron what he wanted after that, right? Because you had a third round pick. You had a fourth round pick. There's all kinds of free agents that were available. You could have orchestrated a trade. What, my question immediately is you pissed off your franchise quarterback and you didn't tell him what you were doing. And then you didn't do what he asked you to do. So what are you really telling him? We don't value your opinion. And if somebody said that to you and you were arguably the greatest in the world at what you do, I mean, the man won MVP last year. We're talking about the roster that he was a little bit handcuffed with. The man won MVP last year, you know, had one of the best quarterback seasons we've ever seen. So when you go into this and and you're the Packers front office, I just don't understand how, even if you wanted to draft Jordan Love, just go get him what he wants. He, he wouldn't have cared. Beyond the trade-up, the actual selection of Jordan Love was also an indicator that this front office focuses on the wrong details. Jordan Love finished his college career with a 59.8 QBR. And this is a, a quarterback with mobility. If you're a quarterback at the college level with mobility, you automatically have a 50th percentile QBR because QBR puts this premium on quarterback rushing production. So it's like a riddle how the hell his QBR was that low. Then you look up and say, oh, wow, he only had 20 touchdowns and 17 interceptions in his final year at Utah State. His senior year, his se he was at the senior bowl. I saw him. I saw him get completely overshadowed by Justin Herbert. 20 touchdowns, 17 interceptions, and with all that mobility, he put up 175 rushing yards and zero touchdowns that year as well. He's not an impressive quarterback prospect. Maybe some football guy saw the spin rate of his football coming out of his hand and got enamored with him, but that can't make it to writing Jordan Love's name on the card that gets handed to Roger Goodell instead of... Antoine Winfield or T. Higgins. Fuck out of here, man. And I don't even like the Packers. And it's offensive. <laughs> this is that pick was offensive on so many levels. And if Aaron Rodgers is destroying a hotel room upon seeing that, I wouldn't blame him at all. I would have too. I think the 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 fundamental change that they've got to make in how they make decisions is that's fine. Trust the board. Um and and if that's where you have Jordan Love rated. Who, by the way, like not to take anything away from him, immensely talented, silly talented. I mean, can do everything that you want to do, just didn't show enough consistency, nearly enough consistency in college to be kind of a high round one pick. Yeah, he looks like a developmental quarterback. You get developmental quarterbacks in round three, four, five, not round one. The way that it goes anymore, though, I mean, if you want your guy, you just kind of have to take him. Oh. I, I'm not upset with the Jordan Love draft pick. I'm upset with what they did after it. And I'm upset that they didn't tell Aaron that that's what they're doing. I'm just upset with this whole situation. Now they're projected to be $35 million over the cap next year. What are the implications? If you're the Packers and you're watching Jordan Love in preseason, everyone in the front office looks to the side, looks to the side, looks at each other, looks back, sees Jordan Love throw another interception or airmail another pass into the stands. They come to Jesus and realize, okay, this guy 
is unlikely to be a franchise caliber quarterback in the league. We would like to have Aaron Rodgers back next year, ideally. Duh. How would you get under that cap? How would you even get there? The In terms of bringing Aaron back, that wouldn't be super tough. Oh, it wouldn't be. It, it wouldn't be that hard. I keep hearing it. It's impossible. He's he's definitely gone. They can't afford him. Oh, it's it's not about them not affording him. It's about the fact that he wants to be gone. <laughs> um, that's That's been my take on this whole situation from the start. Is that it? Because I keep hearing that they're so far over the cap, it's just not possible. You can't pay him. They just can't pay him. They just can't pay him, Anand. In probably three or four moves, you could easily get this done. It's it's really not. It's it's not as much of a, of of an end game as you think it is. Give us a couple hypothetical moves they could make to keep Aaron Rodgers for next season. I think you probably go ahead and understand that if Rodgers is going to be there, you're going to want Jones and Adams there too. Right, you have to bring back Adams as well. So that's the issue: is that Rodgers and Adams with the two last dance memes on Instagram, they are a package deal. Oh yeah. But I mean, extending people, you can make trades, cuts, restructures. It's really 35 million. Isn't really as dire a situation as it sounds. I mean, the saints were a hundred million over this off season and got that done. So, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not a, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the off season, they were a hundred million over. How did they cut a hundred million dollars of salary? How did they do that? They extended a bunch of people. They obviously dropped off Breeze's salary and waited and designated it post June first, so it split over multiple years. Um, I mean, they cut people, they restructured a whole bunch of deals, but wow, it's not as much as you think it is to get it done. The only thing, the only question that you have to ask yourself is how committed am I to the core of guys that I'm restructuring and extending? for X amount of years, right? Because if Rodgers is there for three more years or four more years or maybe even five more years, right? You're just going to have to, as we've discussed, proverbially kick the can down the road over and over again and just see where the chips fall. Because at that point, you can't make decisions. They're trying to make very logical decisions for what's a very emotional problem. Aaron Rodgers was 36 years old when they drafted Jordan Love. 36 years old. Drew Brees retired at age 40. What are you doing? What what are you doing? 40 minus 36 is 4. That's a rookie contract. That's a full rookie contract. Yep. I'm a I'm a dog pulling on a root here. I won't let this go. This Jordan Love pick, but I I'm still stunned. I I I it it's so hard for me to understand how they would do this. Now you talk about the Saints, we talk about we talk about the salary cap being defined by a 4-year time span. Admittedly, I don't fully comprehend what that means that the salary cap is spread over four years so the cap this year is 182 and a half million and then we can project a 208 and then 250 whatever and then so on and so forth whatever 208 250 next year so 208 let's let's say it's 208 next year like it's projected okay 208 for 2022 right and then it's projected at let's say 250 after tv money okay so 2023 is projected to be 250 million that's just a rough guesstimate we're not really going to know until we kind of have the final kind of details so let's say year four is 260 essentially what you have to do is get under the total cap for the four-year window the thing is year one of the reset matters a lot more than year four you have a lot more flexibility in year four than you did in year one and year one you have to get under whatever the 182 and a half million is that's it what is the reset? Can you explain the reset? What is the reset? 
the reset is just the reset of the four-year window of the cap. It's not a rolling average. No, it's not. Okay, so this is important. It's not a four-year rolling average. That was my initial instinct was, oh, it's a four-year rolling average. No, you're saying no. there's a fixed four-year window. It starts and it ends, and then the next four-year window starts and ends. Right. So the reason that the Colts have $30 million in excess money is it's money that they carried over from years and years and years of underspending in the last window, right? So when 2020 ended and the 2021 season happened, they had 30, I think it's 30, 31 million dollars in carryover. So their cap for 2021 is not 182 and a half million. It's 212, I think, somewhere in there. As long as you reach the salary floor. Mm Mm-hmm. If you don't reach the salary cap in any given year, the difference rolls over to the next year. Right. So no team's individual salary cap is 182 and a half million. And that's why your flexibility grows as the years tick by within that four-year block. Right. Because you're rolling over salary cap excess that wasn't used the previous year, giving yourself more and more flexibility out to the end horizon of that particular salary cap period exactly so if you're if you think about it as like a common problem right that we have in everyday life what mickey loomis is doing is essentially maxing out his credit card year after year after year and borrowing against the future if that makes sense that's why he's able to do it over and over and over again and then in a year like this that bill comes due because there's no value left to extend so to speak you know, because they're not going to extend Thomas and Kamara and all of these guys until they figure out who their quarterback is. So there's no more room for him to push it down the road. And that's why New Orleans this year relatively looks like they're going to be more down than they have in years past. You can always find more room and more flexibility to do whatever you want under the cap. That's a misnomer. You can, you can absolutely do whatever you want to do. By the way, the New Orleans Saints, according to VegasInsider.com, their over-under for total wins in 2021 is nine. That's the same as the Patriots, the Chargers, and the Dolphins. And of those four, I think the Saints are least likely to hit that number. Yeah. And this is why, because they maxed out the cap for three straight years, and they have no flexibility this year. And, And it wasn't just they had no flexibility. They had rolled over all these salaries in year one, two, three, so that in year four, they were a hundred over. And it was like a clearance sale slashing spending across the board to get under Yep, because they had no flexibility because they intentionally borrowed against 2021 to fund all those breeze years. Yep. And so as you push, you know, as you push money further and further down the line, Eventually, that bill comes due, and you are unable to create a a playoff roster, right? I mean, it's happening with the Eagles now, right? When they re-signed everybody in 2017, gave them a whole bunch of money. That's one way of going about doing things. Then you have the Saints that kind of meander every year. Well, well, this is interesting because I look at the Vegas win totals, and I see that Vegas is already wise to this Eagles implosion. They already have the Eagles down at six and a half wins, which is the same as the Jaguars, the Bengals, and the Jets. Yeah. And we both think that the Eagles will likely even miss that number. Yeah. Because the roster's been hollowed out because they borrowed against 2021 to fund their previous runs. Yeah. 
And they're in an even more dire situation than New Orleans is because they've got a $35 million hole in Wentz. Breeze, on the other hand, you know, is about $20 million, I think. I can't remember what exactly the number is. But, you know, at least they have Hill and Winston there. Why do they owe Breeze anything if he retired? So they owe Breeze money because, like, as we talked about dead cap, essentially they've paid him money and bonuses that they hadn't paid the cap yet. Got it. Whether it was in bonus or in salary. Their previous bonuses that were paid to him that are hitting the cap now that have been amortized out into the future and have to be accounted for this year. Yep. Essentially, the salary cap is an accounting tool, right? It, it, that's really all it is. Um, there's this big myth about, you know, oh, like, how do we get under the cap? You can get under the cap doing whatever you want functionally. The question is, what are you going to have to do over the next two, three, four years to pay for that? The Saints are also having to pay for their runs in 2018, 2019, 2020, even in 2022 and 2023, because to get under this year, they had to restructure and pay more next year and the year after and the year after to a handful of veterans. So it's not just this year that the bill is coming due. They're going to have to make installment payments for the previous years, even in 2022 and 2023. Yep. That's why, and and so people think drafting is important so that you get your guys, so to speak, quote unquote. Drafting in the modern NFL has become so important because every position of value has become expensive, right? If you have a D end, they're expensive. Left tackle, expensive. Superstar wide receiver, expensive. We know quarterbacks are expensive. But if you can draft well and get above average production from guys on rookie deals along with your superstars. That's how you build a championship roster. Take a look at Tampa stars all over the place, but the rookies contributed heavily. The Winfields and the Werfs were critical. Yeah. Sean Murphy bunting, not necessarily an old dude. I mean like Jamel Dean. Yeah. They've been running pure, man. They've been running pure in Tampa. So pure that Tom Brady noticed and he joined them. He's like, wow, things are running pure down here. I'm going to join you. And just that difference of Winston to Brady was all they needed to flip the script. Yep. And and so when you kind of look at what New Orleans did and how they went about doing it, it's not a model for success unless you know what you're doing, right? They drafted so well. For the most part, it's worth it if you're winning. And the Eagles are the example of what happens when the clock strikes midnight. And you've done it for too long and haven't accounted for a major, major piece. And you're whiffing on picks. Well, the other thing, too. You're drafting J.J. Arcega-Whiteside over, over D.K. Metcalf. It's not sustainable if you start whiffing on picks. The moment you start whiffing on picks, things crumble very quickly. Yep. And if you don't have a Hall of Fame head coach, right? Which, it that's a big element of it, too, right? Sean Payton can take pieces and make them work. He's been shoving Taysom Hill down our throats for only four or five years now. And I don't know why. I like Taysom Hill as a late-round quarterback this year. Oh, I mean, it's it's a fun fantasy football draft pick. I think they're incentivized to play Hill over Winston because they need to manufacture points without Michael Thomas. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think he has value to an NFL roster. He has more value in New Orleans than he does anywhere else because Sean's got creative ways to use him. Um, but when you're looking at your team making roster moves, when you when you kind of look at an, a restructure or an extension or somebody getting cut – Think about, I think one of the things you have to think about is what does this mean presently and what does it mean for our future? So, I mean, there are a lot of times that New Orleans extended veterans that they knew were crucial to their runs and they just couldn't afford to pay their young guys. 
right? I mean, they obviously wanted to keep Trey Hendrickson. They had to let him go. He's in Cincinnati now. Um, there are a bunch of their guys, quote unquote, that they don't get to sign. And it sucks, but it keeps that core roster together. And you got to draft this the successor to all of these dudes consistently if you want to go at that level. I'm looking at these teams projected to win six and a half games. Cincinnati Bengals are there with the Eagles, Jets, and Jaguars at six and a half wins. That seems low. I think they're going over. I think you're talking about the talent influx in Cincinnati, and yet it's not reflected by the Vegas sports books. When we talked last week about you know my my five favorite my three favorite off seasons, the Bengals were just missed that cut. Um, I mean, they did everything that you want to do in terms of roster construction. They got their O line help. You drafted Jamar Chase. Um, you know, I would I the argument of Chase versus Sewell is you know you we could argue till we're blue in the face. Both would have been great. You just choose you know half, six of one, half dozen of the other. Take your pick and then fill in the other with free agent help. We will talk about positional value on a future show. I think they should have gone Sewell, but we'll talk about it later. Stay tuned, everybody. Stay tuned to Decision Point. We'll eventually talk about Sewell versus Pitts versus Chase versus Waddle. Yeah. One of the things that's kind of flying under the radar is the new corners that, that Cincinnati grabbed out and Awuzier and Hilton. Trey Hendrickson, like we touched on, Riley Reef, who you know may not be the sexiest name in the world, but that's an upgrade over what they had. Stability on the offensive line, they're coming, man. The AFC North is going to be stockpiled with talent. The AFC North is going to be a bloodbath, just like the NFC West is going to be a bloodbath. And I mean, especially because you consider that they double stacked at a few of these positions. With Reef, they drafted Jackson Carmen, you know, who Ohio State fans will definitely remember, kid that you know from Ohio, decided to go to Clemson and, you know, five-star recruit was, you know, going to be the next guy. And then kind of, you know, faded a little bit, um, but is absolutely worth a second-round pick. And then uh, Joseph Osai, the DN from Texas, love that pick as well. Uh, but, I mean, you know, in terms of how do you rebuild a roster in, in an offseason, I think they did about as good a job as you can, considering that they didn't have to chase a quarterback. You know, they, they have their guy in Burrow, and we all know that. Um, I, I really liked, you know, I, I really liked a lot of what they did. Um, and the other thing, too, is, you know, Burrow, thank, thankfully, is going to be okay and gets another year in that system under Zach Taylor. Because one of the worst things that you can do to a young quarterback is ask him to learn a bunch of offenses quickly. And I think nobody gives Baker Mayfield enough credit for stuff like that. Right. And and when you look at kind of they have clearly turned the keys of this franchise over to Joe Burrow and said, hey, man, what do you want? How can we help? And then just done what he's asked. And so I think they are learning. Um, the, the Brown family is learning from, you know, Green Bay's mistakes and they're learning from Washington's mistakes and New England's mistakes. Washington's learned from their own mistakes. I think Washington is in the mix to be the best team in the NFC East. They have the best defense. Certainly they've upgraded the offense significantly and Vegas is only projecting them for eight wins. I'll take the over. I'll take the over too. Fitzpatrick would be the only reason that they don't win eight games. I mean, if he goes full nuclear and, and you know, throws five interceptions a game, which is definitely in the realm of outcomes. It, it is definitely a possibility um, that could happen. I don't see it personally. Um, it's, it's I just don't see it. I, I don't see them not winning eight games. No, I, I think they can very easily win eight games. 
And I think of all the unders, Steelers eight and a half is the glaring under just because we know it's going to be a bloodbath. So if you have a team that is aging and losing key pieces, especially on the offensive line, heading in the wrong direction as the rest of the division strengthens around them, that's the perfect over-under in Vegas to exploit. And you identify, okay, the Bengals are on the rise, the Steelers are on decline, Somehow Vegas is not wise to that like they are the Eagles. So go ahead and take the under on the Steelers and the over on the Bengals. And you're getting free wins. If the Steelers are at 8.5 and, and the Bengals are at 6.5, that's a two-win differential. If we think their rosters are about equivalent, or perhaps the Bengals have even more talent than the Steelers, then those are the two most exploitable intradivision lines I see looking at the full season win totals on vegasinsider.com yeah maybe ben's arms kind of shot maybe it's not we don't know i mean i think last year was a situation where you kind of got to see it but you got to understand those weapons are nuts that's a hall of fame head coach in tomlin that's never if i if i can remember i think he's never had a losing season that's why they cannot move that line down i don't think they can move it down there's this historic trend of the Steelers always being at least 500, that both Vegas and the public can't imagine reversing. Yeah. But it happens, man. It happened to the Patriots last year. It can happen to even the best franchises. The best-run franchises can have a bottoming-out year. That looks to be the Steelers this year. I know they have great receivers. Chase Claypool looks like the closest thing to Megatron that we have in the league right now. Deontay Johnson can get open at will. And Juju Smith-Schuster is now one of, if not the best, third receiver in the league. However, Juju decided to just sign that one-year deal to come back to Pittsburgh, and he publicly stated that his goal was to sign a mega deal in 2022. What you're telling me, though, is that the salary cap resetting next year, did teams have less flexibility to sign free agents is this going to limit his market in 2022 are the players that were betting on the post-covid boon in 2022 going to be disappointed because that's the year the salary cap resets and there aren't teams like the colts carrying over all this extra money no so teams are still going to carry over money. The way the four-year window works is you have to stay under the 100% of that salary cap over the four-year window. You have to hit 89% of cash spending and 95% of cap spending over that four-year period. So you can still carry over if you have something. It's just because of COVID, the cap going down, everything that happened last year. This year is the year where a whole bunch of teams that wanted to make big splash moves just couldn't. Either they didn't carry over enough because they were they thought they could win in that 2017 to 2020 window, or what happened was the cap went down when they assumed it would go up, right? Because nobody planned for what happened. Right, right. You know, you, you couldn't have planned for the pandemic. You can't really fault anybody for that. No, no. Um, and and obviously you could treat that as you know if you. If you want to treat it as an insurance claim, you could treat that as, quote unquote, an act of God. I mean, there's there's no way that you would have known that that was coming down the pipeline. Wait, so you can carry cap space over even if it resets? Yep. Even if it resets, you can carry over whatever it is that you haven't used in the prior year, which is why a lot of teams chose to max out everything going into 2020. 
right? That was kind of the year where we saw a bunch of quote unquote super teams form, whether it's Tampa, um, you had uh, Green Bay bringing in all kinds of veterans, you know, Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith two years ago. Um, you had teams spending mass amounts of money because they expected that in 2021, the cap would go up. And because it didn't, they kind of got screwed. So carrying over cap spaces is never, ever the problem. You're always going to be able to do that. That's never, it's never going to be a, Hey, you have to spend this cap space. You just have to spend the cash. If you haven't spent it yet over that four year window, or you're going to be penalized draft picks and so on and so forth. Ah, so if you haven't spent the money, right? Like let's say you're the New York jets and you had a bunch of cap room, right? Or the dolphins who have a bunch of cap room, right? You have to start spending that. Otherwise you're going to be penalized for it. The NFL doesn't want to incentivize a team being run like a business. And that's why it exists. So that means in 2022, more teams will be incentivized to spend more. Yep. That's the math that Juju's agent is doing and why he insisted on a one-year deal. Right. If you are a quarterback, wide receiver, left tackle, edge rusher, if you're anybody that thinks that they're on the verge of a payday, you want that payday to come in 2022 or 2023. The reason is if you sign in 2021, you're going to be given. And and this goes also into why, if you're a team, sign everybody now. Get as many deals done as you can because as soon as that TV money hits and that cap spikes, everybody relatively that signed in 19, 20, 21, even 22 is going to be a massive deal. And if you sign them in 2023 – you are now going to have to pay maybe the 10th or 15th best quarterback in the league like he's the best. And that's a surefire way to not win anything. So when you say reset, they're just defining what the cap is going to be for the next four years. Yes, exactly. That's all that means. You can still carry money over. It's just that there's this uncertainty that's hanging out there at the end of the four-year period where we're just not sure what it's going to be. It's all speculative. Yeah. Those that speculated that it would be high in 2021 got burned. Yep. And the other thing that, that happens too is within that four-year window, if you are, if you remember, I think it was 2015 or 2016-ish, and this was a lot before I understood a lot of this, the Browns were making a lot of very odd moves. If you remember, they were offering big one-year deals to guys where you're like, huh, that doesn't make any sense. And then the, the Brock Osweiler trade, for example, to get money on the books. That was the NBA trade they did. Right. And so the weird part about it is the Browns in our lifetime are really the only team that I've ever seen that really got close to being under that floor. Um, it doesn't really happen often because most teams are incentivized to win or kind of alienate their fan base. Other than maybe Detroit. I'm not sure what the hell's going on there. I think that's the way you want to rebuild, right? Don't you want to get close to the salary floor? As long as you know you can't win, and then you can carry over that cap space, and then once the pieces are in place, it's fucking go time, baby. Detroit's doing it right. I think I think they're doing it right now, but they haven't been doing it right for the past decade. Right, right. Yeah, they started doing it right this year. Yeah. This year, they decided this is how you do it. They're implementing that Cleveland model. Yeah. They're just saying, ideally, we're going to get a better quarterback antenna on the top of the tower than Baker Mayfield when it's our turn to put that last quarterback piece on top. There are kind of two schools of thought when it comes to roster construction. One is you find your quarterback and you build a team around him, um, at which point when their rookie deal is up, you're going to have to pay the quarterback and he's got to be worth it. 
right? Because you're going to have to continue drafting well and surround and pay the right people around him in order to keep winning because it's really hard to win with a quarterback that's expensive. The opposite is true when you take Detroit's model or Cleveland's model, which is, hey, let's build the team. Right. And then once we get the capital, whether it's draft capital or otherwise to acquire the quarterback, they're going to be ready to win by year three, year four, year five. And if they're the guy at that point, we're going to know what pieces of our roster are valuable, right? Like they got the Miles Garrett extension done. Landry and Beckham, I think are locked down for a little bit. You've, you've got multiple tight ends, running backs. I mean, that, that, that team is loaded. I, I mean, top to bottom, I don't know that there's a better roster in the league than Cleveland. Their over-under is only nine and a half. Love that over. That's, that feels so low. It's low. It's a bloodbath division, but even in a bloodbath division, I'd rather have the Browns at nine and a half than the Ravens at 11. Oh, that's way high. I mean, if the Browns go 12 and five, is anybody going to be surprised? No. no, 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 no. And it would be very surprising if they finished nine and eight. So I, I don't know where the, the Vegas math is, isn't quite mathing for me. I think that the AFC North has the most exploitable over-unders on the board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just a matter of, of why you believe what you believe about certain teams, right? Because obviously one injury can wreck any over-under really, really quickly. So do you agree with this Detroit-Cleveland model? I think Cleveland is the model if yeah. you're Detroit, right? Because Jared Goff's going to be expensive for a little bit, and he's clearly not your guy in the future, which is fine. Whatever. He just gets you to the salary floor. That's all his purpose is. Classic bridge quarterback where you're paying him enough money to help you get to the salary floor. The players on the roster are not unhappy that you're sabotaging the team. You at least have a functional quarterback out there. It helps keep everybody happy, and it allows you to meet your obligations to the rest of the league in the spending department. Yeah, I mean, he's at the, the Tankathon special at quarterback, which is not necessarily a bad thing, right? I mean, if he overperforms, good for it. I love it. I love it. I think it's perfect. It's so smart. Somehow this team just suddenly got smart. How did that happen? I have no earthly idea because for the last decade, they've been Cleveland Browns 2.0. I mean, some of the Lions decisions have been even more mind boggling than Cleveland's. They're going to be the Dolphins North where you're like, oh, this is going to be three or four years. Then all of a sudden, no, 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 it's not three or four. It's actually just give them two years and they're going to be competitive. Yeah. 2023, I think you'll see something. It, it happens so quick. You can turn the key so quick in the NFL. I love the NFL, man. That's what makes the NFL different and better than baseball. Just another reason why these rebuilds in baseball take three or four years. and the NFL, it's one to two years. The other thing, too, is quarterback in the NFL is just so important um, that, you know, I thought the Rams would try the model. Honestly, I did. There, there's long been an analytics model out there that was, hey, rookie quarterbacks are such a contract value. Why don't we build a team and then every five years draft a rookie quarterback and just let them go. It's a weird analytical quirk. I don't know that it would play with the public well, especially if the quarterbacks played well enough to get you to a Super Bowl. God forbid he wins one. If Baker Mayfield struggles at all, they'll do it in Cleveland. I, it's going to be tough, man. I, I just, he's adopted the identity of that city so much, and especially being in Ohio. I mean, there's more Baker fanatics here than there are probably in Oklahoma. So the... People in Ohio are sold on Baker Mayfield? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. I, 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 this is news to me. I did not know that. Yeah, I mean, every Browns fan 
is sold that he is the second coming of God. Which, look, if he brings a Super Bowl to Cleveland in any context, oh, oh, please, please, they're gonna they're gonna take down the posters of LeBron and put up posters of Baker. <laughs> yeah, baby. Do you think that Cleveland fans love Baker Mayfield as much as New York Jets fans love Zach Wilson before he's even played a snap? <laughs> no. No. The, 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 the signature delusional fan base. The Zach Wilson hype has gone way too far. It's crazy. Don't get me wrong. I love the kid. I love the kid. But you are asking him. I mean, they've already built a statue for him outside of MetLife. The, you, you know, he's short of giving him name it's number 12 they've done everything <laughs> but throw this super bowl parade for this kid on it he's the last pick left because they're negotiating the offset language we, we've had a number of teachable front office moments here on the show in episode two people are going to really enjoy it after all that praise that poured in for episode one do it again Explain the offset language that they're negotiating in New York. What the fuck is taking so long? Because I just think that Zach Wilson's mom is getting involved, and that's no good. <laughs> right? Like, we saw Cam Newton's dad was just a little too involved. Now we're seeing Zach Wilson's mom, a little too involved. Never a good thing. So the offset language that you're referring to is, essentially going back to what we talked about the last episode, is they want their signing bonuses to be huge. Right, because the actual contract is already pretty much mandated. Um, there is a rookie wage scale, and each pick has a commensurate, you know, length, term, APY. I mean, there isn't a whole lot in that contract that you can modify. And this was done, I think, in 2011 or 20, 2010, right after Sam Bradford was drafted. Bradford was the last mega deal. I think he got 50 million guaranteed or something crazy like that. Remember that? Yeah, I'm a Rams fan. I do remember that. Remember that? Yeah. Well, so you're a Rams fan living in Ohio, so you can be the Ohio correspondent. You can get the, the pulse of the community, how they feel about Baker Mayfield, while also paying special attention to the Rams. Oh, yeah, especially them moving out to L.A. The flight's gotten a little longer to, to go see him. But uh, when what they're essentially trying to work out in Zach Wilson's deal is how much guaranteed money are they going to give him. And Trevor Lawrence's deal with Jacksonville is kind of interesting because I think they fully guaranteed it or got close. Um, and when you do that, I've, I've long thought that, you know, if you are a first round quarterback, that's how you go about doing it because they've already just made the decision to invest the draft capital in you. At that point, you have all the leverage because the deal essentially like the, the verbiage of the deal is what you have control over. The actual term is done. So if I was a quarterback in that situation, I'm going to take every day that I have to and leverage whatever the hell I want because they have no negotiating power. It's essentially either you sign what I want or I don't report to camp and suddenly you have the mob outside of MetLife screaming at, at God knows who about God knows what, right? Woody Johnson does not want that. He has leverage, man. Zach Wilson has leverage. Think about who else is on that roster. It's James Morgan and Mike White. I like James Morgan. I know. I like James Morgan. James Morgan, also a rookie. He's not ready to start NFL games. <laughs> James Morgan is Tom Savage, <laughs> right? Tom Savage started eight games in Houston. And the interesting thing with Tom Savage was that he was able to support DeAndre Hopkins' production at the exact same level as Deshaun Watson by simply homing in on him and pushing his target share up to 40%. That's what the backup quarterbacks do 
with their alpha wide receivers. They lock in on the alpha wide receivers and the target share offsets the lower efficiency when the backup quarterback comes in, which is why whoever's sitting in that number one wide receiver chair is insulated from quarterback inefficiency, which is why Brandon Cooks, for example, will be a value. Even if Deshaun Watson doesn't play, doesn't matter as much for Brandon Cooks. Matters a lot for Nico Collins, for Anthony Miller, and everyone else in Houston. So is this a signal that Jets fans should be worried that he's pushing the envelope here? Or would the second-drafted quarterback, having seen that Trevor Lawrence contract, be the final player to sign regardless is it nothing to do with Wilson it's just that he happened to be in that 102 slot he's a quarterback they're looking at this Lawrence contract and he's powerless in this process he's not powerless in this process ah he's not powerless in this process and it's a it's a step that I thought we would see people start to take sooner um because your your leverage here is that they've already invested so much in you and you already know what the numbers in the deal are going to look like. The only thing that you are fighting is injury guarantees and guaranteed money. And that's it, right? So the thing is, in essence, they've already committed to paying you this contract. They've drafted you with the number two overall pick. So if you're Zach Wilson, the worst thing that you can do is just sign whatever they put in front of you. Right. Because it's not going to be fully guaranteed and obviously guaranteeing fu- fully guaranteeing football contracts is something right that there's a lot of risk there from the team side but you're a quarterback right they've drafted you to be the future and there's not even there's not even a veteran there right it's just a very very tricky situation if you're the jets because he knows that you know that he knows that you know that you don't have anybody behind him give him whatever he wants right the, th- the thing is, at least Jacksonville could have bluffed for a little bit and pretended like they were in love with Gardner Minshew. Oh, right. See, that's interesting. See, if you're an NFL general manager, going into these negotiations, it would make sense to have a Jacoby Brissett on the roster <laughs> to help you in negotiations with your rookie quarterback. Yep. I never thought of that. If you take them in round one, yeah. Because uh, the, the reality of the situation is you've already invested so much in them that their agent and is going to come to you and say, hey, Matt, you took our guy second overall. We love the Jets. We want to be Jets for life. But put your money where your mouth and draft pick is and guarantee the entire contract. You loved him enough to draft him with the 102. Yep. Give him all the money. Yep. You're going to pay him it anyway. Just get yep. it over with. Yep. And that's the idea. Give it, give it. We want to invest it in the market now. We don't want it four years from now. He has a Robin Hood account. Right. Right. And that's exactly what it is. Right. That's what it is. That's what it is. Yep. All right. I'll get you out of here on this question because this came from the audience. Email me podfather at rotounderworld.com. If you want me to ask Anand a question, I'm here for you. This came from Twitter. You surfaced this Hertz dilemma that Philadelphia is currently rebuilding and given the timeline of the rebuild, they won't be able to take advantage of Hertz rookie contract until best case scenario, it's final year. And that surprised me because you and I talked previously about Philadelphia and you explained to me that this is one of the most creative front offices, if not the most creative front office in the league. And now Vegas thinks they're going to win six and a half games. 
Hurts is in this in this strange paradox where the team actually doesn't want him to succeed. It's Philadelphia has become this bizarro football team. If Roseman is so creative, and this is a savvy front office, generally speaking, how did we get here? This is, Matt, the example of what happens when you make a lot of really, really good decisions on top of one very bad one. Carson Wentz's contract in 2017, after their run, was signed because they believed he was going to take the next step, be a future MVP, and they didn't want to wait to see one more year of Carson Wentz. That was the mistake that they made, right? And Howie is a brilliant general manager. He Another one of those, like less, like we talked about last week. You're sure he's brilliant? Yeah, he's really, really smart. Because I'm just staring at this J.J. Arcega-Whiteside pick over D.K. Metcalf. Oh, God. And I'm staring at Rager over Justin Jefferson. That one doesn't make sense to me. And it's just not adding up, man. Howie needs to deal more with the money side than the player side. And I think that they, they're starting to learn that. The big issue in Philadelphia is they thought they were going to be in a Super Bowl window for the next five years with all of these guys, you know, the young D-line and, and Alshon Jeffrey and Ertz and Goddard. And it, it, there were so many pieces there that, that we thought were going to be incredible. They thought they were going to get an extra couple of years out of Alshon Jeffrey. They thought they would get more out of Deshaun Jackson. They thought they would get more productive use out of Zach Ertz. Jordan Hicks. So these players flaming out simultaneously, including Carson Wentz, must have sideswiped this front office. And that's why we are where we are, right? It's going to take years to clean up the disaster of 2017 to 2020 for Philadelphia. And that's why when I said they don't want Jalen Hurts to be good, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, is not that they want him to be bad. They want him to be good enough to have trade value and move on from. They do not want him to be good enough to be a franchise quarterback because if he is, you're going to have to pay him in 2023 and 2024, and there's no way he's ever going to be a top five quarterback in the league. You just don't see it. And they have this franchise quarterback contract PTSD. Yep. And so let's say you 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 sign him after the cap jumps, right, in 2023. What does that deal look like? Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts might be the highest or second high paid quarterback in the league in the league Philadelphia that's what you're looking at if this works out the way that you want it to I don't understand how you put Philadelphia among your top front offices if they let this happen this is what's confounding me well the the way that they built that 2017 Super Bowl roster is aggressive it's interesting they went all in and they did it okay all right only one team out of 32 can win every year and the way they architected that most recent Super Bowl, it was brilliant. Matt, who won the last five games of that run for him? Nick Foles. That wasn't your day one starting QB. Your roster is only as good as its depth, unless you imply that there are no injuries. Yes, that was one of the better constructed teams that you could have even drawn up in fiction, like from a movie. Nick Foles would star in a Disney movie. Yeah. And I mean, this is where I caution people about Tampa. They brought everybody back from that Super Bowl run in 2017. Everybody they feasibly could bring back, they brought back in Philadelphia. And we thought they were just going to plug Carson Wentz in for Nick Foles and do it again. 
And they damn near did because Nick Foles was there again the next year. Carson Wentz got hurt again. Nick Foles tried to save them and did save them against Chicago and then wasn't able to do it a week later against New Orleans. Those are two all-in teams facing off in the playoffs. That's the way it should be. Right. I like that. And Alshon Jeffrey lets a ball slip through his hands against Marshawn Lattimore or they win that game or back in another NFC championship and they might have done it again. Right. But nobody wants to talk about that because it didn't happen. And so be it. Right. Oh, man. People in Philadelphia are going to like this. This is good. Howie Roseman's construction of that roster is proof that he knows what he's doing. The problem is, even when you know what you're doing, the randomness, the injuries, all of this stuff can catastrophically change the fortunes of a franchise overnight. A scout talking you into Jalen Rager. Think about how differently we talk about Philadelphia if Justin Jefferson has that season in Philly last year. And then you get Devontae Smith, right? And and so the cautionary tale here is no GM is going to be right 100% of the time. They've just got to do the best they can with the information that they're given. And what Howie Roseman has done here in drafting Jalen Hurts is given himself a bridge to whoever that next quarterback is, whether it's Deshaun Watson whether it's somebody else. Because imagine, remember, Philly fans freaked the hell out when that draft pick was made. There was pandemonium in the streets of Philadelphia. I remember I have the backlog for for the NFL draft, so I get picks a little bit before they're actually made on stage. And I saw that come across, and I was like, oh, hell, what are they doing? And then you saw Carson Wentz deteriorate right in front of your very eyes last year. And that pick went from, what the hell are you doing, to, oh, thank God. It was a great pick. See, Howie Roseman, just when we thought that you were totally incompetent, you totally redeem yourself. Right, because, I mean, as as important as Rager over Jefferson is and as important as Arcega Whiteside over um, DK Metcalf is, if Jalen Hurts hits and they get two first-round picks back for him, somebody's willing to pay up like somebody was willing to pay up for Cousins before they tagged him and he became a free agent, Right. If you get that return of value back from Jalen Hurts, which I think they will, because remember, everybody's looking for the new shiny toy that can do things that other guys can't. And Jalen Hurts has got some mobility and his arm is getting better over the years, not worse. Like there's there's a path to a Dak Prescott like right ascension. Right. But the thing is, they didn't pay Dak Prescott Dak Prescott money. And that's why this team is going to be okay because going into the next three, four years as the cap is going to rise astronomically, that's that contract's going to become a value. Whereas Hertz is going to be debilitating because when you have to pay him sucks. That's the really shitty part about this. Jalen Hertz is, I really hope he succeeds. So the answer is they're never going to pay him. They're going to trade him. If they're smart, which how he is. Yes. But my assumption is If Deshaun Watson doesn't get moved this year, which I think right now they're asking too much and it's a little too toxic. I think what happens is if Jalen Hurts even has a decent year, he's thrown into that deal. I think you see a Goff Stafford kind of exchange of quarterbacks plus minus picks from one side or the other here. Wow. Yeah. That's the show, by the way. But I can tell you, if you're going to bottom out and take advantage of the reset, I just don't agree with starting with the quarterback and building around him. I think that would be building in reverse where you need to look at what Cleveland did and what Detroit's doing as the model. They should be calling John Elway and seeing what John Elway will give for Jalen Hurts around week four or five. Because if they're winning in spite of the quarterback play, then John Elway might be motivated. 
is Philly worse than Houston roster wise? I don't think so. I don't think they're even in the same discussion. They're trending toward being the Houston of the NFC. What would prevent Howie Roseman from trading Jalen Hurts to a Carolina or a Denver if either one of those teams feels like in week seven or eight, they're a quarterback away from a Super Bowl? Oh, I mean, I don't think anything would prevent him from doing it. It's just, what are you going to get back for him, right? The thing is, Houston can offer you Deshaun Watson, who is in the tier of quarterback, right? Like, if you think about it in quarterback tiers, it's Tom Brady and then everybody else in theory. Watson's young enough that you couldn't say no to that. Yeah, but there's a tier of guys that you can pay and win with, right? Russell Wilson's been getting paid. Aaron Rodgers has been getting paid. Brady's been getting paid, right? These guys are winning while getting paid. Now, obviously, you'll see Mahomes and see what he does. The danger in building around a rookie quarterback is you break the rookie quarterback and you can't unfuck what you broke. Exactly. Deshaun Watson's already been through the fire. He's played on a bottom-tier franchise, getting hit every other play, and he's made it to the other side. So there's a much stronger case to build around a young, proven quarterback than building around a rookie quarterback. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you can get one that's that you know is great, and we know Deshaun Watson's great, right? Um, I mean, he's a top-five quarterback in the league. And if even if you pay him like a top-five quarterback in the league, that contract's never going to be bad. You know what I mean? That that that's where my my hesitation with Hertz is. You can't pay a top fifteen quarterback like he's a top three quarterback. You can pay a top five quarterback like he's a top three quarterback and be perfectly fine. There's no, it's not going to be a problem if you pay Deshaun Watson a whole bunch of money. It's a problem if you pay somebody that is a middle of the pack or maybe even a little above average quarterback. Like for example, if you pay Derek Carr the most money of any quarterback in the league, you're in trouble. The thing is, you put. Jalen Hurts on a team that's losing by double digits most games, he's going to score so many fantasy points if he goes to Houston. Holy shit. So, yeah, I, I guess I guess the narrative is uh, the, the the Philadelphia front office, Howie Roseman may not be buying Jalen Hurts long term, but if you're a dynasty owner, that might not be the worst decision ever. The, the Philadelphia front office, Howie Roseman may not be buying Jalen Hurts long-term, but if you're a dynasty owner, that might not be the worst decision ever. There it is, buddy. Thank you. That's the show. Praise pouring in for the Decision Point podcast. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it nice to be on Twitter when things are uh, people are happy and <laughs> you're putting content out that they like? Oh, it feels rare that people on Twitter are happy, so, you know. That's a good thing, man. I think you got all positive. It's all positive reviews, if I recall. I know. I'm happy to hear it, man. I'm glad people enjoyed what we put out there. Some more stuff here. Oh, yeah. All the hot takes. (laughs) The other thing I think is interesting is that the only quarterback left to sign as of right now is Zach Wilson. Can obviously touch on that if you want to. There's something about the way the contracts are structured for these quarterbacks, something about offsets. Mm Mm-hmm. 
so essentially what they're looking for is like um like we'll go into it if you want but what the hell is an offset so it's not really an offset what they're looking for is um hey you drafted me in the top five or top ten i want more guaranteed money because the contracts are essentially already set right um you have a designated amount that you can spend on your number one number two and so on down the line there's a scale right going all the way down every picks every every pick every slot but agents can always say we want more right and hold out well they can say we want more but the real thing they're looking for is that guaranteed money right because that's that's not mandated so trevor lawrence i think signed fully guaranteed pretty much that that four-year deal plus one the team option in year five if i remember right um i mean i I think you're going to start to see more and more guys that are drafted in the top five especially at the quarterback position kind of follow that same mold because like we talked about last time i mean there's no there's no future guaranteed money right i mean god forbid you go out there practice number one you tear your acl or you know you tear your achilles and are never the same again teddy bridgewater you know he'll tell you right 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 and i mean there are so many um different ways to explain that but i mean if you draft a guy in the top five right you're pretty committed to him as is and so i think the agent and the player at this point are kind of like hey if you're going to be that committed to us with a draft pick why not be that financially committed to us and fully guarantee this deal or get close i'm pretty tired um i've been pumping out a lot of content unfortunately i asked we did this final breakout finder show that dropped today ended up being a total slog editing it last night so um you know hopefully you're okay um uh doing a lot of the talking here yeah uh i'm just gonna tee you up we're gonna talk about packers we're gonna talk about i'm I'm gonna get into it don't worry i'll get into it yeah don't worry yeah i mean and the the other thing is too for the most part i think most people are kind of uncomfortable saying that they don't know certain things and if there's something that i don't know i'm just gonna tell you that i don't know exactly so then the zach wilson is interesting the hurts thing is interesting we'll dig into the hurts we gotta we gotta finish up talking about teams you like like the Bengals and san francisco I got to pull up the Vegas odds win totals NFL. And I got I got I was talking to someone about this today as I'm curious where the Bengals are. They're six and a half. So they're down with the Jets and the Eagles are six and a half. That feels low. The Vegas is already on the Eagles. They have them as a bottom four team. Wow. So I didn't realize that Vegas would be so because I'm, I'm super down on the Eagles and I'm down on the Steelers. Um, if I were to go under on any team. Yeah. And I mean, what's the win total for the Eagles looking like? They're they're pegging it at six and a half. Oh, the Eagles are at six and a half. Yeah. They've got the Eagles down the board. So there's not a lot of value there. I don't even know that they get there. With the Saints quarterback situation with Michael Thomas, I, somehow. Yeah, that's an avoid for me. Saints are still nine wins. I don't know about that. Maybe they think they beat up on the Panthers and the Falcons, but I mean, like, it's not like those rosters are incompetent. No, no. Panthers will be better. Falcons will be better. Raiders. It's weird to go under these teams that are already projected to be a losing franchise. But the idea that the Raiders are seven and a half, but the Washington's only eight. It's like Washington is an awesome roster and the Raiders have a talent deficient roster. Someone figure that one out to me. And then the Steelers is higher than either of those guys. Like, what? The only thing that I think prevents Washington from hitting the over is Fitzpatrick going full Fitzpatrick. You know, like, 
if he throws a bunch of interceptions that lose him a bunch of games, I could definitely see them being under. But logically speaking, that number seems low. Like I would think nine, nine and a half is where I'd set that total at. They're just a good team. They're a good team. They are a good team. They're a good team with the quarterback that is the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. There's no Ryan Fitzpatrick game where he throws for, you know, 280 yards, two touchdowns and no picks like that. That game doesn't exist. Yeah, 49ers, it's all baked in. They're a 10.5 projected win, so you're not getting any value there. And I, I mean, I like the Niners, but that division is a bloodbath. I'd probably go under on most teams in the NFC West just because they're going to beat on each other. Yeah. We'll just start. We'll just go, man. We're just going to do a show. It's going to be great. Let's do it. Yeah. I'm already, see, I'm already, I'm already, I'm already a different guy. I don't know what happened. I'm already, I'm already pumped up. You're already not going to get a word in edgewise. It take me four minutes to warm up. That's it. That's it. All right. He's a top five player in the league. You got to let the ego go. He's more important than you are. That is unforgivable. That was a steal. That was robbery. Oh, man. Robbery. Alan Diggs. Woof, 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 woof. Rogers, Adams. And then Mahomes Hill. Our roster's good enough to win with anybody. It's not. It's not. Well, he's not 100% human. That hair is not human hair. Okay, we know that chin under that chin is not 100% human bone. That nose is not his original nose. Come on, man. Those aren't his teeth. They didn't pay Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott money. Stack. Hello. Our roster's good enough to win with anybody. It's not. It's not. Too many carbs for me now, but back in the day, back in my carb days. Take whatever you want. He knows that you know that he knows that you know that you don't have anybody behind him. I like James Morgan. The Vegas math is, isn't quite mathing for me. They just can't pay him. They just can't pay him, Anand. You have Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, he did that with a hand tied behind his back, which is Jordan Love over there, just bulging with first-round draft capital, completely useless on the sideline. This is, that pick was offensive on so many levels. That was robbery. Oh, man. You have Aaron Rodgers.